Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to all our brothers and sisters who have joined us in church this morning for the worship of our triune God. And we also extend a special welcome to all the visitors who have joined us this morning, both here in church and also to those who are with us remotely via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel and may God be praised and glorified by our worship. Consistory has the following announcements. Sister Brittany Tenhalf and Brother Kobus Diacha from the Free Reformed Church of Mount Nazura have indicated their intentions to enter into the marriage state according to the ordinance of God. They desire to begin this holy state in the name of the Lord and complete it to his glory. If no lawful objections are brought forward, the ceremony will take place, the Lord willing, on Friday the 3rd of March at 1pm in the Free Reformed Church of Mount Nazura with Reverend Poppy officiating. Consistory will meet as elders only, the Lord willing, tomorrow evening at 8 o'clock in the consistory room. And next week, Sunday, the Lord willing, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper in the morning service. And this morning, the worship service will be led by Reverend Poppy. Before we commence the worship, let us sing together from Psalm 138, verse 1. Please rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, 
and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise to our God. We're going to sing together from Psalm 100, the verses 1 and 4. given us his law in order to teach us how to live before him. He also wants to show us how we fail to do that and, and to show us what Christ has done for us and how Christ has accomplished this for us and so to lead us to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen to the laws he's given us, given it to us in Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant or his female servant, or his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he was asked the question at one point in his ministry as to which is the greatest of these commandments. It was in Matthew 22, and he, he said to, to, the, to the lawyer who asked him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. God teaches us here that, that love is the greatest commandment. It's the fulfilling of the law. This is the, the theme that we're going to see in the sermon this morning. The Lord calls us. He is a loving God, and he calls us to love. And he, he shows us here through the commandments how we're able to do that for him. Well, sometimes we, we fail. We're going to sing together from Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5. In that psalm, we confess our evil doing to the Lord, our sin and our shame, and we ask the Lord that he would forgive us for the sake of his love and mercy. You can find that on page 54 of your book of praise, Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5.
Let's ask him for his blessing. Almighty God, dear Father in heaven, we thank you that on this Sunday morning that you invite us into your presence. Thank you for a beautiful day that you've given us, Lord. We live in a, a place, we live in a, an area where we have such beautiful weather. Thank you that day after day you, you provide for us with sun. We don't get much rain these days, but in due time, you've always given that too. And we, we thank you and we honor you for that. Thank you for the day of rest that you've given us, that you give us this Sunday where we can set aside a regular work. We have a day of, of rest and especially of worship, Lord. You give us this time where we can meet with you. The greatest reason you do so is because you wish to remind us of who you are and what you have done for us. You wish to extend your grace to us once again. You wish to build up the relationship between you and us. Thank you, Lord, for taking initiative in that relationship, that you reached out to Adam when he fled from you, that you reached out to Abraham and you extended a covenant to him, that you reached out to, to many of your people over time and you were faithful in your covenant dealings with them. And so today as well, you reach out to us, and you call us into your presence, and you're faithful in your dealings with us. Father, we pray that you would please work it in our hearts, that we truly appreciate the relationship we may have with you. We have to confess to you, Lord, that we don't always have the same faithfulness in our dealings with you. Sometimes we recognize it. Other times we're blind to our sin. But Father, we've just confessed it here that we are those who are sinners. We, we sometimes do evil. We commit sin, and that is to our shame. And we come to you now and we humble ourselves because of our sin, and we ask for your grace and your forgiveness. We pray, Lord, that, that you would show mercy to us, that as an act of love, that you extend grace to us. We pray, Father, that your faithfulness towards us would never end. Help us then to, to treasure the covenant relationship that we have with you. Help us to love you with all our heart as you have loved us. And help us, Lord, to live out of that love. We ask that you also encourage us in this with the preaching of the gospel this morning. You get to hear this morning about the love that you have for your people, about how this is the overriding aspect of your character, and how this determines so much of what you do. And we ask, Father, that this may find a place within us, that when we hear your word proclaimed, that we may believe in, that we would love you as you have loved us, that we respond in faith to the message of the gospel. Thank you for, for extending it to us. Please grant us your blessing. Please also accept the songs that we sing and the prayers that we offer and the thank offerings we bring before you, Lord. 
their expressions of our love to you and help us to do it with loving hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So brothers and sisters, the consistory has decided that the Word Bible study theme for this year is going to be the new life that we have in Christ. And one of the ways we're going to take a look at that new life is we're going to examine over the course of the coming year the fruit of the Spirit as it's explained to us in Galatians 5. So this morning we're going to look at the first fruit of the Spirit. The first fruit of the Spirit is love. In connection with that, I'd like to read two passages of the Scriptures with you. We're going to read together from 1 Corinthians 13 and then from Galatians 5. So I invite you to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So the context here in 1 Corinthians 13 is that the Apostle Paul in chapter 12, he's told us about the spiritual gifts that God has given to us. God has given each one of the members of his body different spiritual gifts, and he intends us to use those gifts in service of one another. And he ends off that chapter with the words, and I will show you the still more excellent way. And then in chapter 13, verse 1, there the word of God comes to us. It's on page 1140 in your guest Bible. There God says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now, for now we see in a, dimmer, in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Then we turn in our reading to Galatians chapter 5. You find that on page 1157. The first verses of Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul says that there are different ways in which people seek to secure God's blessing. Some people say you have to obey the law. That was really chapter 4. And the first part of chapter 5, there's other people who say, no, the law doesn't mean anything. We're free to do whatever we want. 
I'd like to start reading with you in 5 verse 16. So Paul says, just before that, he says, you are free, but just don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In Galatians 5 verse 16, he continues, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So far the word of God. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing Psalm 116, verse 1. text for the sermon this morning is taken from the passage we read together from Galatians 5. We're just going to read the, the first part of verse 22 there. Galatians 5 verse 22, there God's word says, but the fruit of the spirit is love. Well, dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, every once in a while I ask my catechism students the question, who is God? And I try to make it real for them. I say, you know, imagine you're at work or you're at uni and you meet somebody and they find out at some point that you're a Christian. 
And when they find out that you're a Christian, then, then they have this question for you. They've always been wondering, but they never had someone to ask. So they ask you, they say, well, who is God? And then what would you say? You know, it's really interesting. When I ask my catechism students that question, then oftentimes I get answers where they'll say to me, well, they'll say, God is in heaven. God is, he's the creator of the world. He has power over all things. He rules over all creation. He directs everything that happens in your life. Or they'll say, God is forgiving. When we sin against him, then he's, he's willing to forgive us for the things that we've done wrong. Or they'll say, God is holy. He's set apart. Or maybe, God is righteous. He never does anything wrong. Or God is eternal. He always existed. He will always be. But you know, it's really striking. The one answer I seldom receive is the answer, God is love. He loves us very deeply. On a level, on one level, that's, that's a really sad thing. Because when God gives a revelation of himself, that one of the most foundational things that he wishes us to know about him is that he is loving. That is a core aspect of his person. It's very interesting. We have this passage at one stage. The Lord made promises to Abram, to Isaac, and to Jacob that he would be their God and he would look after them. And they'd been sent into exile for 400 years. And at the end of the 400 years, then he revealed himself to Moses and he said, Moses, your job is to go back to the Israelites and to bring them out of exile. And Moses, he had a really dim view. He thought, God, I'm just the wrong person for that job. And he had all sorts of excuses. And at the end of all the excuses, then he asked God the question. He said, God, well, who are you? Imagine I do do this. I go to these people and I say that you called me to, to lead them out of Egypt. And they're going to ask me, well, who are you? And then what do I say to them? And then God revealed himself. He said, I am who I am. I'm the covenant God. I'm the God who made promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I'm going to fulfill those promises. And then as Moses walked with God, then a little later he, he asked the question again. He brought the people out of Egypt. He came back into the desert. He was back at Mount Sinai, and he met with God. And he said, God, please, 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 can you show me your glory? I would like to see you face to face. And the Lord said to him, he said, Moses, no one can see my face and live. You can't do that. But he said, I'll, I will reveal myself to you. I'll hide myself. I'll hide you in, in a, a crevice. And I'll walk past you. And after I, I walk past, then you're allowed to, to look at me and to see my back. And then in Exodus 34, the Lord reveals himself. He not only lets Moses see his back, but he describes who he is. He reveals his character. It's the most profound revelation that we have of God. There are seven New Testament authors who reflect, or sorry, seven Old Testament authors who reflect back on this revelation, and they celebrate these aspects of God's character that he reveals about himself. And so who is God? What does God say about who he is? Well, he says 
that he is the Lord, the Lord, a merciful and a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You want to know who God is? He is the Lord, the merciful and gracious God, the God who's slow to anger and who's abounding in love and faithfulness. It doesn't diminish his holiness or his justice or his righteousness. He says he is those things as well. But the first seven attributes that he tells about himself are all attributes that highlight his love for his people. The Apostle John, in 1 John, the first letter, reflects on the character of God. And the one thing he thinks about an awful lot is the love of God. And as he reflects on that, there's two places where he says that God is love. That's who he is. He is love. But what it means for us, brothers and sisters, is that it means that if you know Jesus Christ, and if the Spirit of Christ lives in you, if God lives in you with his Spirit, then the first way it's going to reflect in your life is that you are going to be loving. In Galatians 5, Paul teaches us that when Christ's Spirit lives in your heart, then he makes you into a new person. You're no longer caught in sin. You're no longer dead in sin. You're no longer following the lusts of your flesh and the passions of your heart. But you put that away, and the Spirit lives in you. And he makes you into this new person. When the Spirit of God lives in you, then that gets expressed through the fruit of the Spirit. Your life begins to reflect the presence of the Spirit who now lives in you. And the first way that's reflected is that you love others as God has loved you. I preach God's word to you with this theme, the fruit of the Spirit is love. We'll see in the first place the gift of this love, and then secondly, the expression of this love. If you want to understand what the fruit of the Spirit looks like, then you need to see what it looks like in God. What does it mean that God is loving? Well, I thought maybe a good way to to explore that would be to take apart the self-revelation that God gives in, in Exodus 34. When God reveals his character, then it's very striking, but each of the first seven attributes he lists of himself are different attributes of his love. The very first one, the Hebrew word, it's the word racham, it means to be merciful, to love, or to have compassion. And literally, the root of this word, it means to come from the same womb. And so you have brotherly feelings towards the other person. You have feelings of love and feelings of compassion and feelings of mercy towards that person. Well, now God uses this term of himself. In Psalm 103, verse 13, the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to us, for he knows us. He understands how we are made. And so one of the foundational parts of the character of your God is that he understands who you are. He knows how you're made. 
He knows your character. He knows your struggles. He knows your abilities. He knows your inabilities. And he has compassion on you in the midst of your, your individual circumstances. He looks into your life and he looks at you with pity and with compassion. And he's willing to help you. He really loves you for who you are. Next, God reveals to him, himself as someone who is gracious. The word here refers to a heartfelt response by someone who has something to give to another person who is in need. You see a need in another person, and from the heart, you're moved by their need, and you give to them. And the context, it's not a word that's used very often in the scriptures, but the context within which this word is used is most often used of God who gives redemption from sin and evil to his people. When he sees our need, we are in profound need because of the sin that we've committed. As an act of grace, he responds to that need. He cares about us. He wants to help us when we're in that place. He gives redemption. The next thing the Lord reveals of himself is that he is a God who is slow to anger. Earlier or later on, he's going to talk about the fact that he's righteous and that he is just that he is holy, he always does what's right, he hates evil. But here he says, he is slow to anger. He doesn't immediately become mad at us when we do something wrong. But when he sees that we sin, and when he sees how we're caught in sin, then, then it takes him a long time to get really angry and to act on that anger. He's a good father, he... He disciplines us, he cares for us, he helps us to change, but he has it in his heart to, to restrain his anger in his dealings with us. And then the Lord reveals to, to us that he is also abounding in steadfast love. He has chesed for his people. This is one of the biggest words in the Old Testament. The Lord's steadfast love it refers to being kind or to being affectionate and to acting on that kindness and that affection by freely giving to other people. And the, There's also this other nuance. It's not just that you're kind. It's not just that you, you have great affection for someone else and that you act on it. The word for chesed means that you choose to do so. It's not dependent upon the other person being a really kind and loving and gracious and good person. And that's why you decide to, to be kind and to be affectionate to them. But the, the basis of your kindness and the basis of your affection, it's not in the other person. For the Lord, it's in himself. The reason he shows kindness is because he chooses to be kind. We heard last week, Jacob have I chosen, but Esau have I hated. The Israelites were saying, Lord, you don't love us. And God says, what are you talking about? From the very beginning, I chose you, and I've shown my kindness to you. I've been steadfast in my love and my affections towards you. And the one place the Lord reveals that, that steadfast nature of his love and affection is when his people rebel against him. At the beginning, he didn't choose his people because they're so good, Deuteronomy 7 and he says, because it's because of my steadfast love that I chose you. That's why I included you as my people. And then when his people rebel against him, it's not as if he all of a sudden turns his back on them and he says, well, you know, since you rebel against me, I'm going to reject you. 
But the Bible tells us that because of God's steadfast love, he continues with his people even when they reject him. The Lord, probably the place he explains it to us most dramatically is in the book of Hosea. He tells Hosea to marry this prostitute who's unfaithful. And he, he warns him, he says, your wife is going to be unfaithful to you. And after she is unfaithful, then he goes back to him and he says, Hosea, now you have to go back to to Gomer and you have to take her back. You go to the marketplace, you buy her, you take her back, and you let her be your wife once again. Because this is what I'm doing for my people, the Israelites. In Hosea 14, verse 4, he tells us how he makes it happen. He says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. Along with this, the Lord also reveals himself to be abounding in faithfulness, in a mat. The word refers to, to being true to your word, to being faithful to your commitments. If you are true to your word, to another person, you make promises, you get married, you make a covenant with another person, and then if you're faithful to those commitments, if you live up to those promises, then that's the basis for a very deep relationship. It's a very profound way in which you can love the people around you. The Lord, he tells us next that he is a God who keeps steadfast love for thousands and who forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. The greatest expressions of the love of God for his people is that he is willing to forgive us for all our sins. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. His righteousness means he always does what's right. And you have to understand, righteousness has to do with relationship in the first place. The Lord has beautiful relationships because his relationships are rightly ordered with his people, with everyone, with everything. And then it makes him upset when we sin against him, when our relationships are not rightly ordered, when we, when we break his commandments, and when we do what's, what's opposed to him. And that's why he says in the next nine, he will by no means clear the guilty, but he will bring down the sin of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And so he will exercise his justice. He will set things right again. But the amazing part of his, his faithfulness is that, and his love is that he doesn't make us pay the price to be set right in relationship with him again. The way he forgives us is that he makes Jesus Christ, his own son, pay the price to restore the relationship. That is the most loving thing that he could ever do. He gave what was most precious of him, He gave his son to forgive us all our sins. It is for Jesus' sake that when God looks at you, then there is no guilt, there's no shame, there's no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. It's really quite striking. He does it for us, not because we have our lives together, not because we reach out to him or because there's some good in us. He does it for us He does it for us 
even when we hated him, when we rejected him, when we were opposed to him. That's the message that Paul brings in Ephesians or in, in Romans 5. He uses four terms to describe who we were. He says that we were weak and we were ungodly. He says that we were enemies and we hated God. But he says just when we are in that place, when we are ungodly, when we hated God, we were his enemies, that God sent his son to die for us. Romans 5 verse 8, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God chose his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died when you were a sinner, when you were an enemy, when you were ungodly. And then it's really beautiful what Paul is saying here. He's saying God shows, God demonstrates. The term is actually also used for God frames his love for us. Part of the reason he sent Christ is to show in the most profound way possible how much he loves us. Do you really want to know who I am? Do you really want to understand my character? That's sometimes the question that we ask. Why did God let us fall into sin? Why are we sinners? He could have stopped it. It didn't have to be this way. Well, he didn't stop it. He let it happen. And why? Paul says, Romans 9, one part of the reason why is so that we may understand the extent of God's love to us. If you have a really beautiful picture, you want to put it up on your wall, then you first you bring it to, to one of these places that puts a frame around it. And they find the right frame, the right color, the right frame for the right picture. And when it's in that frame and it's hanging on your wall, then it shows even more profoundly how stunning the picture is. Well, God loves you. And he wants to frame that. He wants to show it to you most profoundly. And so the way he did it, Romans 5, 8, is he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross. It's the ultimate expression of his love towards you. Do you understand then, brothers and sisters, that your God is a loving God? He loves you with all his heart. He's merciful and he's gracious and he's compassionate in his dealings with you. He knows you. He knows the struggles that you have. He knows the weaknesses that you face. He knows your heart. He knows the life story that you have. Nobody else knows it, not fully, but the Lord does. And he looks with you, he looks at you with pity and with compassion. And his heart is moved because of the plight that you have. And it is great joy to help you to bless you, to redeem you, and to forgive you, to love you, and to care for you. He doesn't demand that you pay for your own sins, but he gave his one and only son so that you would know that he loves you, that you would be secure in that love towards you. Well, do you often think about that aspect of God's character, brothers and sisters? Normal life, daily life, do you reflect on the love of God? Do you call it to mind and 
to allow it to maybe do you allow yourself to meditate on it you kind of turn it over again and again you think about all the different ways in which God's love has been extended to you and it reaches expression with, within your life it's the greatest thing in the world it's when you reflect on that love that it changes you it makes you into a new person if you are loved then that fills you with love that your greatest desire is, is to express your love to the one who has loved you. That's how love works. That's as we, we are loved and as we love in return, that we have this beautiful bond, this, this incredible connection together. And that's the gift that God gives us in Christ. It's through loving us that he bonds us to himself, that we love him, that we're so thankful for the gifts of his grace, for his kindness towards us. And then that reaches expression in our lives in all sorts of different ways. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, he, he talks about what it looks like in real life when you love. In chapter 12, he says, God has given his spirit to each one of us in a different way. We're all unique, we're all individuals, we all have different gifts, and he gives that to us so that we can love each other. And he says, that's, that's what it's all about. That's the whole purpose that God has. And then he, he emphasizes how important that is. In the first verse of 1 Corinthians 13, he says, you can have all these other spiritual gifts. You can speak in tongues. You can have prophetic powers. You can have all knowledge. You can even have faith that will move mountains. But he says, if you don't have love, it means nothing. It leads to nothing. If you're super knowledgeable, but you don't have love, and you don't build other people up, then you use your knowledge for yourself or you use your knowledge for other ends and it causes distress between you and others. Or even if you have great faith and you can do great things through your faith, but if it's not motivated by a love for God and if it's not directed as a love towards the people around you, then Paul says it's useless. It's meaningless. He says if you give away all that you have, if you give even your own life, you're willing to die for the sake of the gospel, but if it's not motivated by love, and Paul says it's useless. It's a waste of time. The most important thing is to love. And he gets back to that at the end of the chapter. He says that the, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Well, when a God lives in your heart through his spirit, brothers and sisters, then that gets reflected in your life. The spirit bears fruit. It's good to think about the, the imagery of fruit. Fruit doesn't come externally on a plant. It comes from within the plant. And it takes time. When you first sow a seed, it doesn't immediately that first year produce any fruit. If you're going to grow a tree, it takes a bunch of years. And it's after a bunch of years that an apple tree produces apples and an orange tree produces oranges. And a person in whom the Spirit lives, produces the fruit of the Spirit of love. And then the Spirit, he shows it more and more in our lives. God prunes us so we become even more fruitful. 
that we have more love and more love for the people around us. It's the greatest gift that God can give you. It leads to the most incredible life, to the deepest joy, to the closest relationships. It's through love that you can be merciful, that you can extend grace to your husband or to your wife. When we're married, we live in very intimate relationship with each other. We get to know each other on a really deep down level. We get to see not only all the beautiful things and all the wonderful things, we get to see all the miserable things and all the ugly things. But God gives you love so that you're slow to anger, that you're merciful with each other, that you're gracious towards one another, that you freely give to each other. God gives you love so that as children in a family, that you're able to, to look after each other. Boys and girls, that's one of the great gifts that God gives. He loves you so that you can love each other. And that you don't take the biggest piece of cake for yourself. And you don't run into the shower before the other person and make them really mad because they'd already got their towel there and they're in the shower already. And you push them out and take their space. But you love them. He enables you to love the other students at school who don't have any friends. It's one of the hardest things in the world. You go to school and you're socially isolated. Nobody's willing to be your friend. Well, God, he loves you and he includes you. And as he loves and includes you, he also gives you the opportunity to, to include the other students at school in your circle of friends and to really show his love to other people. Sometimes when your friends, when your brothers and sisters do something that annoy you, you don't get mad at them right away. But you wait. You're patient. You're slow to anger. Because God equips you to love them. Real life, brothers and sisters, when we love each other, that we consider the gifts that we have, that we help each other in the church. We're all different. We have different gifts. We have different abilities. And we open our eyes to the people around us and we seek to help whoever we can. Will you do it? Will you show hospitality? Will you take the time to get to know each other? Will you pursue the person who naturally pulls back? Will you continue to extend hospitality especially to those who are hurting? Will you open your home to the new members within our congregation? It's quite striking. You look at what the, what the Spirit tells us, 1 Corinthians 13. And again, it reflects on all these same things. Paul says there, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. It's quite a contrast that the apostle builds here. He starts off and he first tells us about what love's not. A bunch of things. It's not pride. If you're proud, if you're arrogant, 
If you're boastful, that's not loving. Then it's about you. It's not about serving others, but it's about you. It's about getting recognition for who you are and what you have and what you've done. It's very unloving. Love is not envious. It's not greedy. It's not about getting. It's not about taking. It's not about looking at what other people have and the lifestyles that they have and and then wanting that for yourself and, and building your life about trying to get the kind of lifestyle that other people have. It's really hard in our culture. This is one of the strongholds that the devil has on us in our culture today. It's all about what you have. It's all about what you can do. So in that context, the Lord said, that's, that's not what it's about. It's about what you can give. To love is to give. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's when you love other people and you seek to do what you can to bless them and to give to them. Paul talks about selfish people about those who insist on their own way, who are rude towards others. That's not loving. If you insist on your own way, if you're rude, inconsiderate in your dealings with your your spouse, with your children, with your family, that's terrible. That's very unloving. Sometimes it happens between siblings, especially between siblings. We can be really rude, very inconsiderate, very unloving within our families. The opposite is if we care deeply for each other. You know, it's a really powerful thing if you do that. If on a daily basis, if you express your love and your concern for one another, if you give and if you help each other, then life can change in profound ways. If that's the spirit in your family, And instead of there being this this love and anxiety and tension and distress, then God can change things for you. For there is this peace and this harmony and this unity and this joy. That's the the result of, of love. When you love one another, then that's the kind of spirit that happens within your families. In verse 6, Paul tells us that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. Well, if you rejoice at wrongdoing, if you rejoice at evil, well, that's extremely unloving. Those who commit evil are those who, who reject what God says is, is good and righteous. Well, in his law, the Lord's revealing his character to us. He's telling us how to relate rightly to him and to each other. And so if you reject that, if you, if you rejoice in evil, then you're being very unloving in your dealings with one another. And then Paul reflects in the end here about what it looks like to love in interpersonal relationships, especially in the context of conflict. How do you love someone where there's conflict? Well, there are some people who irritate us. Sometimes, instead of being slow to anger, we're, we're quick to become angry. Sometimes we hold on to that anger and we become resentful. Well, Paul says, if we're irritated or if we're resentful, then we're not loving. And he contrasts that in the next line. He says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. If you're willing to bear with each other, if you're willing to endure all things for the sake of the other, 
And that's an extremely profound way of overcoming conflict in relationships. The Lord calls us to share his nature in being patient and in forgiving. As he is forgiven, we are called to forgive others. It's really quite, quite a profound calling, especially when you read how, how far God wants us to put that into practice. Probably the sharpest point where he puts it in the Bible is in Luke 6. It's in Luke 6, 27. But I say you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Well, it is an incredible calling, brothers and sisters. You hear that and you think, you know, that's impossible. I could never do that. But it is possible because that's how God has loved us. Luke continues in verse 35, he says, But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, therefore, even as your Father is merciful. God loved us when we were unlovable. And as he loved us when we were unlovable, he says... Do likewise. This is the great gift of our Father in heaven, brothers and sisters. He wants it for us. He wants to bless us with the richest life ever. Are you going to do it? Do you want to put it into practice? Do you want to be that kind of person? Maybe it sounds like a pipe dream, too hard, not possible. It's the part of the sermon where we get to the gospel. Christ did. There were all these people who were very unlovable, and he loved them. He helped every single person who he could. And the people recognized that love. And they responded to that love. They couldn't get enough of the love. They followed him by the thousands. They crowded around him. And wherever he went, he had this enormous crowd that followed around him. He included the social outcasts. People who had no friends. He was their friend. He healed those who were sick. They had all this trouble. Sometimes it went on for years and years. And he healed them. He, he delivered people who were being oppressed by demons. He sent the demons out. And their lives were transformed and changed by his love for them. He taught the people and he spoke the words of truth, sometimes hard words of truth. And he did it in love and the people respected him for it. He taught them about the important things in life, about mercy, about faithfulness, about justice. And the people, they loved him for it. They, they marveled at what he said. They held him in awe for the words that he spoke to them. And then he laid down his life for them. 
for all who believe in him. He sacrificed his life and he's willing to take the eternal wrath of God as an expression of his love. Well, he has loved you, brothers and sisters, with an eternal love. And as he loved you, he says, I will help you. I will give it to you. I will do it for you. When you look to me, when you believe in me, when you trust in me, that I will live in you with my spirit, and my spirit will equip you and will enable you to live in love for the people around you. And it's as God does that for you that he gives you the most beautiful life ever. Where love rules, there's harmony, there's unity, there's peace, there's joy. Even though we're sinners, even though we live in intimate relationship together, in families, marriages, in a church community, and close relationships at work, it's through the powerful work of the Spirit of God that those relationships can become very beautiful. Through love, we can be patient, and we bear with each other, and we forgive one another. Children grow up in this place where there is safety and security. They're loved by their parents. And when they have that, then, then as they grow up, then what ends up happening is you get to this place where there's long dinners and long conversations, great times of sharing and lots of laughter. Where there's love in a church, there, there's peace and harmony. Then you walk out of church and you, you have lots of people to talk to and it takes you a long time to get out of here. And then you help each other in all sorts of different ways and you open your homes to one another. And when other people see that, it's, it's a really powerful magnet. When people, they meet you, and when they, they come to church, and when they experience the love of God that you have within you, then they're deeply attracted to that, and they want to share in the love that God has shown to them through you. It's like the, the kingdom of God. It's this outpost of light in a dark world. And people come to hear about that, they come to see it, when they come to experience it, then they say that God is among you. And they want to share and they want to have what you have. Well, the same thing happens in interpersonal relationships. Maybe if I can end off young people, boys and girls, sometimes you're looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend. How do you attract attention from the other person? Well, sometimes you do it, you try to be really smart. Or you try to be really athletic. Maybe you, you're someone who tries to be really funny. That can work. There can be a, a young man or a young woman who falls in love with you when they see that. But you know, there's something that's even far more powerful than any of that. And it is when you love. If you have the love of 1 Corinthians 13 within your heart, you become a beautiful person beautiful on the inside, and that emanates. And when people experience that, when they see that, then they're attracted to that. And they want to share in that. They're drawn to that. Well, this is the gift of God to you. He loves you. And he reveals himself to you so that you may love him, that you may abide in his love. And as you abide in his love, then you become more and more like him. And the Spirit he reveals more and more of his fruit within your life. Well, it leads to the greatest gift in the world. So brothers and sisters, look to Christ in faith. 
ask that the Spirit would live in you, that you bear much fruit. Then go out and love the people around you with all your heart. It is for the glory of God, and it is for your blessing. Amen. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing of the love that God has for his people and how he expressed that through, through history. Psalm 136. We're not going to sing the whole psalm. We're just going to sing verses 1, 2, 3, verses 12 and 13.
Let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and a prayer. In our prayer this morning, we'll remember a few members of our congregation. In the first place, we'll remember our brother and sister Verbruch. They heard the sad news yesterday that their son-in-law passed away. So the son-in-law, we prayed for him some months ago. He had a brain tumor. The last few weeks, he really went downhill and came to an end for him last yesterday. So we'll ask God that God would comfort them, that God would be father to them through this time and, and also help them with his Holy Spirit. Also remember brother and sister Henry and Liz Spanderman, their son Jeremy and his wife Jacqueline, they're expecting a, a child and the results of one of the scans is that there's really severe abnormalities with the child. So we'll pray that God would please be near to, to them and carry them through this time. Then also we'll pray for brother Wally Tenhaf. Um, Last that God would bless Wally, not just with peace of mind, but also physically. Doctors did a scan. They found out that he has a brain aneurysm. So could be a serious thing. I don't know how that develops, but, but nonetheless, we'll ask God to, to care for him, protect him during this time. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we praise you that you are a God who loves us. When you reveal yourself to us, then you revealed yourself as the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. doesn't mean that you, you let people get away with sin, Lord. You are righteous. You demand justice. And our sins, they have consequences for our lives, even for the lives of our children and their children after them. But at the same time, Lord, you, you have revealed yourself to be a God who loves us, who's willing to help us with all our troubles, even the greatest trouble, the, the sin that we commit. Thank you, Lord, that you are compassionate towards us. Thank you that your heart is moved with pity for us. Thank you that you've chosen to love us, that you've revealed yourself to us as a free gift of your sovereign grace. And thank you that you extend this grace to us, that you don't hold sin against us, but that you're willing to forgive us. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ into this world. It's the greatest demonstration of your love. It's through Christ that we are, that we are redeemed from our sins, that we no longer rest under condemnation. Father, we honor you, and we thank you, and we praise you. We ask that you would help us to reflect often on the extent of your love for us. And we pray that this love may be the foundation of our lives. Grant, Lord, that as you have loved us, that we may love you. Help us also to, to show that to you in the way that we live. Help us, Father, to, to have a kind affection for you and to give to you as you have given to us. Help us to open our hearts to you, to give you glory and praise, to seek to honor your name, to use the gifts that we've been given to serve you and to glorify you and honor you. Help us to, to have compassion on the people around us. Help us to be moved to pity by people's plights. Help us to show grace, to try to help those people who are in need, especially those who have sinned against us. Help us to bear with one another's sin and not to be quick to anger, but rather to be slow to become angry, to have long-suffering and a sense of patience with people's weaknesses. Bless us in our families, Lord, that within our marriages, that we may love each other from the heart that we're able to put these things into practice and that there can be a spirit of unity and peace between us. Help us as parents in raising our children that we may love our children from the heart. Please live, us, live in us with your spirit that your fruit is manifest within us, that our children learn from us what it means to, 
not to be greedy, but rather to be generous and kind, to be willing to serve others in love, to be patient, and to forgive others. Help us to often confess our sins, not just to you, but to each other. Help us to beat a path to the cross, where on a daily basis we we leave our sins at the foot of the cross. And as we have been forgiven over and over again, help us also to forgive those who have sinned against us. Grant that our hearts are so full of love, Lord, that, that people can see your glory and your beauty shining in us. We confess that in so many ways we fail in this. We're so often irritable and we're resentful. We are those people who are selfish and we're rude and we're inconsiderate. We're so unloving in so many ways and we repent of our sin and we pray for your forgiveness and we ask that you make us into new people and that you help us. Grant that not just in our families but also within our congregation that there may be great love. Help us to use our gifts to serve each other. Grant that we recognize where one another is struggling. Grant that we're willing to walk alongside a life with each other, to seek to know each other well, and to care for one another deeply. Help us to reach out to those who are visitors and those who are new members within our congregation. Grant that we make an effort to develop relationship and that we're willing to, to open our homes and our hearts to those who've come to us. Father, thank you that as you have loved us, that we can love others. Thank you that this is your joy and your glory, that this is your great desire, and that you will accomplish what you said to do in our lives. We pray then, Lord, that you'd also show your love to some of the people in our church who need you in special ways. There's some who struggle with mental health issues. They have great unrest, and they, they have a hard life. We ask, Lord, that you give them the peace of Christ, that you have compassion on them, that you show mercy to them, and that you help them through the difficulties they face. We also pray that you be near to those who have physical difficulties. We ask, Lord, that you be a father to them, and that you, that you comfort them, that you grant healing where it's possible, and that you, that you also give patience with the limitations. Think especially, Lord, of, of a brother Wallington Half. We ask that you would continue to be near to our brother, that you give him peace of mind. We're so thankful that you have blessed him with this, and, and we pray that this, he may have it more and more. We're also grateful for your sustaining hand in his life. It's this aneurysm in his brain. It's quite a serious matter. And at the same time, he trusts that you have his life in your hands. And he's at peace with that. We pray, Lord, that you would please then care for him. You look after him and provide for him. Please also comfort his family and surround them with your love and nearness. We also pray, Lord, that you be with the family of her brother and sister Spannerman. Be with their son and daughter-in-law, Jeremy and Jacqueline as they have to come to grips with the fact that the, the child they're expecting has severe abnormalities or that's such a, a difficult thing to come to terms with. And we pray that you would show your love to them, that you surround them with your care. Please also for our brother and sister, please, please comfort them during this time. Please help them. If it is your will that you grant healing, we pray that that may be possible and that you would do that. We also pray, Lord, that you, you give acceptance for, for what happens. Father, we also pray that you would please be with our brother and sister Verbruch. They heard the very sad news that their son-in-law passed away. Lord, we entrust them to your throne of grace. We ask that you would comfort them with the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very sad thing when, when those whom we love, when they pass away. We ask that you would please also be near to their daughter as she has to come to grips with the death of her husband. 
Lord, thank you that, that she may have faith in you, that she trusts in you and looks to you. We pray, pray that you would reveal yourself to her during this time, that you assist her with your Holy Spirit. Please be with their family and surround them with your love and care. Please grant them the, the comfort that only the, the Spirit can give. Dear Father in heaven, we also pray that you be near to all the other members of our congregation who have other concerns. So many of us who, who have to, to deal with different things, just things that weigh on our hearts. Some of us have struggles with, with work, with the work that we have, the work that we can do. We ask, Lord, that you, that you help your people, that you grant blessing, that you grant work, and that you, you grant the ability that, that the work environment can be a beautiful context for us to, to use our gifts to serve you. We pray, Lord, that you give strength and energy that we're able to, to do work. We also pray, Lord, that you, that you bless us in, in all the relationships that we have. There are many beautiful relationships we have, but there are also some that are really trying. We pray that you would sustain us through that. We ask, Father, that you be with those in our congregation who are expecting children. We pray that things may go well, that there may be children born in due time and that things would go well. We also pray, Father, that you would please bless the students at school. We're so thankful that, that the school can start once again. We're grateful that, that the theme that they have at the school this year is, is to love each other from the heart. We ask, Lord, that the students of our school, that they're able to put that into practice, that as you have loved them, that they can love their classmates, that they can respect their teachers, and together that there can be a lot of love within the, the community. Father, we thank you that we bring these things to you. Thank you that you're willing to listen to us for Jesus' sake. And thank you that for Christ's sake you're willing to help us. We, we love you, Father, and we, we honor you. We thank you for your grace to us. Please hear our prayer. Please also accept the thank offerings we bring to you. It's a little expression of our love towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the collection this afternoon is for the mission work in P&G. I'd like to read with you the, the calling that God gave to us as his church. It's in the last verses of Matthew the book of Matthew that the Lord calls us to be busy with this task. It's in Matthew 28, verse 18, that the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, to his apostles, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This afternoon, you have the, sorry, this morning, you have the opportunity to support this work of mission. And after the collections, we're going to sing together from hymn 79, verses 1 through 5.
blessing, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.